praise forever to the King of Kings. I'm reading this morning from Psalm, chapter 122. I'll read the entire thing. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. There stands the throne for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. The word of the Lord. Thank you, dear, and welcome. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here. You can say good morning to me, too. That'd be all right. No, thank you. (laughs) And uh, for those of you online, again, we do thank you for tuning in. And uh, if you're relaxing in your recliner, on your couch, still in your jammies, that's fine. Great. You're here with us. We're glad for that. For those of you that are here, wasn't it good to actually get up on a Sunday morning and get dressed, right, to come to church? (laughs) So it's new again. So Thanks for being here, and uh, we really are looking forward to next week, our official kind of regather, restart with both a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock service here at Trinity Church. So uh, let me encourage you, look for that email tomorrow. If you're part of Trinity, you're on our email list. Watch for that. Um, participate in that. Help us by reserving your space and your time and your service uh, so that we can be planning and preparing adequately for you here and so that all that other stuff can kind of be out of the way and we can just enjoy our fellowship and our worship time together next Sunday. So uh, watch for those instructions, reserve your time and your service, and we will see you here next Sunday. Uh, For this morning, I want to just pause for a minute. I want to pray as we always do as we enter into God's Word, asking that God would teach us by His Spirit, guide us, kind of direct us, and uh, that the Holy Spirit would be the one that would be doing the teaching this morning. So let's pray together. Our God, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for these, these songs of worship, just reminding us of, of you, calling us to give praise to you, <clears throat> reminding us of, of the goodness and the greatness of your grace and your love. Praise forever to the King of kings. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can acknowledge you as our King, that we know that you were triumphant. And the song that led us through your coming, your death, your resurrection, and the fact that you now reign at the right hand of the Father. You've sent your Spirit to be at work in us. For all of that, Lord, we again thank you this morning. And I I pray now that by the power of that Spirit that you've gifted to us, you would help us to understand your Word, to respond to your Word, to live according to your Word, 
And in these next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would give me your words, guide and guard my words, help me to accurately communicate your truth, divide your truth in a way that is honoring to you and to your word. And we will give you all the praise, all the glory for what you do in us and through us today in this service. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was kind of like a family pilgrimage, if you will. When I was a kid growing up in Kansas City, Kansas, every Christmas we would make the trek to Dayton, Ohio area where my mom's family lived, extended family. We would go there for Christmas. So our usual tradition was that our little family of four would celebrate Christmas ourselves maybe five, six, seven days before Christmas. And then a few days before, my dad would get us all piled into the family station wagon and this is back before the laws about seat belts. So he would put the back seat down, and my sister and I would climb in the back. That was kind of our play area. It's what we called the way back in the station wagon. And a lot of times, we would actually get ready and leave at night. And my dad would drive us through the night. He would make kind of a bed, a pallet in the back. And my sister and I were supposed to be sleeping there while he drove us to Ohio. But most times, I couldn't sleep. Let me think about this as a kid. We're on our way at Christmas time. We're going to see my grandparents, which we'd only see once or twice a year. We're going there to see my cousins, who I didn't see very often either, to play with my cousins. We were on our way there to celebrate Christmas. There was always the possibility and the hope that there would be snow. All this is going through my mind, so excited I couldn't even sleep. That was our Christmas pilgrimage. And, and maybe there was a little bit of that in play for the Jews, for the Israelites, when they would take their pilgrimage as well to Jerusalem. So you heard that uh, psalm that, that Beth read, and it's the psalm that describes that pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, when the Jews would go, they'd come from all over the country, all over the nation, and they were, of course, not in a station wagon. They were traveling, most of them by foot, and so sometimes it would take days to get there. This was a commitment. And, and there are 15 psalms in our Psalter, in our psalms, that, that are specifically designated as ascent psalms. And so this is one of those. The Psalms 120 through 134, those 15 psalms are ascent psalms. They're the collection that the Jews would use. They would sing these songs on their way to Jerusalem during this pilgrimage time as they ascended to Jerusalem. Because as you probably know, Jerusalem sat on this plateau of Mount Zion, 2,700 feet above sea level. They would be going up to Jerusalem, singing songs of ascent. And the tradition of this went back all the way to the book of Deuteronomy, the pilgrimage at least. So God gave these instructions to the Israelites. They're, they're just entering the promised land, and God gives them these instructions. You'll see the words from Deuteronomy 16, 16 on the screen. God said, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. So, three times a year, they would come from over the, all over the land. At first, early in the nation, they would be going to the tabernacle, wherever the, that was placed, the center, it moved around a little bit. Eventually, it was at the temple in Jerusalem. 
And so they would come and gather as God's people to sing his praises, to rejoice in their faith. They came to celebrate together in God's house. That's what these psalms were about. Now, after three months away, three months separated, three months during this COVID crisis, I think, I hope we are ready to make the pilgrimage back to be together in God's house. And maybe, it's, maybe it will be a little bit of a pilgrimage. Maybe it will take some time. All that is understood. But I think we can learn something from this psalm this morning. The psalm that called these pilgrims to come to Jerusalem rejoicing and praising and praying. So those three things will kind of be our outline for this psalm and this sermon this morning. And I want to take a look at these responses that the psalmist calls them to. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do, whether you're here, whether you're at home, turn to Psalm 122, look it up on your electronic device. We'll also be putting the words up here on the screen. I've entitled this sermon, A Prayer for Peace, primarily because of the end of this psalm. You'll see that when we get to it. But I don't want to miss the first part either. So we're going to start right at the, at the top. These verses that Beth read a few minutes ago, going back and follow as I read verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. So the psalm pictures a group of Israelites, and they're, they're just gathering, and they're, they're going to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so they're saying to each other, come on, let's go. Let's go together to God's house. And you can hear the, the excitement and the joy in their voices as they say this. And the psalm pictures them arriving in Jerusalem. They come through the gates into the city, and they see the houses and the buildings. And if you've ever seen pictures of the city of Jerusalem, it's all compacted together. And then they see the people, throngs of people gathered together, no social distancing <laughs> when they gathered for these festivals in Jerusalem. And imagine just the excitement for a minute. Just kind of put yourself in their sandals, if you will. You see your friends and your family that you maybe haven't seen since the last festival. The energy and the buzz that would have been going on in the city at that time, the expectation that they all had of, of worship together and of sacrifices that would be, that would be given, the expectation of, of the food and the feasts, the singing and the celebration, all of that. Do you feel that as we're beginning this process of coming back to church? I hope you get a sense of that, too. And maybe, in fact, maybe we're feeling it more now about church than we ever have before because we've been separated, because we've been missing it. So maybe there's a greater sense of what the Jews felt for their pilgrimage for worship. I hope that you're ready and eager to reconnect in ways with others in your church family. I hope you're looking forward to corporate worship together again and fellowship I don't know when we'll be able to start it up, but I know I'm looking forward to when we can start up our Wednesday night dinners again. I miss those great meals and fellowship time together and, and the, the deviled eggs that are always there <laughs> for the fellowship dinner. And I hope that we, like these pilgrims, as we're able to, 
We'll set other things in life aside. Make it a priority to be together for corporate worship. The Israelites made it a priority. You know, my, my dad grew up in Ramsey, New Jersey. And his mom became a believer when he was just three years old. My dad was an only child. His dad didn't come to Christ ever that we know of, remained an atheist. So it was up to his mom to make that priority of getting them both to church. And that was not easy. She knew they needed to be in a Bible-teaching church. And for, from where they were at that time, it was a train ride and two bus rides just to get them to church. My grandmother didn't have a car. She had very little money. And this was a huge commitment on her part. But every Sunday, she would get her little boy, my dad, and get him to church. That commitment, the priority of corporate worship and fellowship. And that commitment of my grandmother radically changed and made an impact on my dad's life. And therefore, because it impacted him, it's impacted me. We need to rejoice over this opportunity that God is giving us to regather as and when we were able to do it. Rejoice in the opportunity to gather. The second principle is psalm is praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. This seems so obvious, so clear, it's so common. We talk about it so much, but it's important part of what we're talking about this morning. It's right here in verse 4. That is where the tribes go up, talking about Jerusalem. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. So the psalmist, probably David, is making it clear here the purpose for this pilgrimage. Why are they going there? Well, they're going by God's instruction, the statute that God had given them that we read in Deuteronomy 16, 16 at the beginning. They came for these festivals for, the reason, for a particular reason. It wasn't just so that they could have these feasts, and it wasn't just for a party. It wasn't just so they'd get vacation time away from their fields and so on to go to Jerusalem. No, it was for worship. It was to celebrate together God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's provision, God's salvation. It was to remind them of all that because God knew his people would need those regular reminders. And even with those reminders, they would tend to forget in between times. They needed to celebrate their faith. They needed time to give God together, to give God praise for who he was and what he had done, for their unique relationship to him as a nation. Now, know that they would have, in, uh, spread out across the nation, they would have their local synagogues, and there would be places for them to go for regular instruction, and for worship, but these three times, these three festivals is when the whole nation would come together for worship. And in a sense, this was really kind of an exercise in accountability for the Israelites, right? It, they were scattered all over, and they would tend to forget and to stray, and so God called them together to be reminded of who they were and what their priorities should be. So the psalm says, they gathered to praise the name of the Lord. A simple phrase, but a vitally important phrase. 
Why is there, you ever wonder, why is there so much in the Bible about the name of the Lord? Well, perhaps you've heard this or studied this before. The name of the Lord captures everything about God. His name was a reference to all that he was, all of his character traits, all of his attributes, all that God did, all of his works, all of that is wrapped up in his name. So to talk about praising his name means to thank him and acknowledge him for all that he is and all that he's done. You know, our corporate worship in the church has the same purpose. We come together to be reminded together of God's character, of his words, of his works. Corporate worship enables us to proclaim the truth about God together, which is exactly what we did this morning, right? That keeps us accountable to our faith because we're here with one another, with others who believe as we believe, who have the same faith commitments we have. That's that accountability that we need, the reminders that we need to keep us from straying as we will tend to do on our own. It encourages our hearts. It helps us give voice to our praise to God. All of that is part of what, is what corporate worship is about. There's a devotional book that's been out a number of years now called New Morning Mercies. I know many of you have used this and read this. I used it for my personal devotions a couple of years ago. I, I still believe it's one of the best devotional books out there. So if you haven't read it, haven't used it, I encourage you to do that. Um, Paul David Tripp wrote this, this devotional book. And the devotional for tomorrow, actually, ironically, June 8, includes, he includes a reading, uh, the reader to read Psalm 122, the psalm we're studying today. And I love the story that he uses in this devotion. I want to just read you a part of this because he describes a time in his life when he, he came to a weekend, came off a busy week of ministry. He was tired. <clears throat> he didn't want to go to church. Yeah, he's a pastor and he's a minister, but we have our days too. When we just don't feel like going to church. And this was one of those days for him. And if it wasn't, he says, if it wasn't for his wife kind of dragging him, kicking and screaming, he wouldn't have gone. But when he got there, listen to what happened. And you'll see the words on the screen as well as I read this quote. He says, The glory of the grace of Jesus suddenly loomed larger than the exhaustion of my body or the weariness of my mind. My cold heart was enlivened by the fire of the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The talents of the musicians and the voices of the congregation reminded me once again of who I was and what I had been given and the grace of the cross of Jesus. And once again, this grumbler became a celebrant. And once again, the gathering of God's people for worship had done its job. That's why we need corporate worship. For the same reason Paul Tripp needed it that day. And he, he, he ends his devotion with this profound statement. He says this, it's not only that corporate worship reminds us of God's grace, Corporate worship is itself a gift of grace. Run with celebration to its rescue any time it's available to you. That's the priority of worship. That's why God calls us to praise the name of our Lord. But there's one more element of the psalm. The psalmist goes on here. That's our third point, which is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So now we're kind of moving from this... this this expression of praise to God to now a, a, a mode of prayer. 
Now, Jerusalem, of course, was known as the city of David. That's because King David made Jerusalem the capital city during his reign, during his time. And so it became the seat of government as well. And that's the meaning of verse 5. There stands the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So Jerusalem was the center of religious worship, that's true, but it was also the seat of political leadership and social justice. And so the psalm now comes to this point where it's weaving all this together as it focuses on the city of Jerusalem. And verse 6 now gives the call to action, this last call to action. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Probably a phrase you've heard many times before, used maybe before. And an interesting side note here, by the way, if, if you only know one word in Hebrew, you probably know this word, the word for peace, which is shalom. And the name of the city, Jerusalem, is built on that word shalom. It means city of peace, right? So it's interesting, essentially, David, the psalmist, is saying here, pray for peace in the city of peace. Because just because you call it a city of peace doesn't necessarily mean that peace will always reign. And verse 6 then continues as the psalmist voices the prayer, May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. So the pilgrims are being called on to pray for peace really at two levels here. Make sure you catch this. So it was certainly a prayer for peace from outside enemies. Uh, you know, other nations coming in, war with other nations, and so it was a prayer for peace within the nation and Jerusalem being the capital. But there's more than that. It was also a prayer for peace within the city, among the people. And, and this internal peace would have come only as the people lived in righteousness before God and as the government, the king in that case, the government acted responsibly and maintained justice. All those things were kind of expected and were elements of peace reigning in Jerusalem. And so the prayer for peace incorporated all of that. The psalmist then finishes the psalm giving two reasons for this prayer of peace. So catch this as well, verse 8 and 9. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you, be within you, speaking to Jerusalem. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So they prayed for peace for the sake of of the community, of the families, of the people of God. But they were also praying for peace for the benefit of God's house, which was all that the first part of the psalm was talking about, the corporate worship of God. And so, essentially, the psalmist is saying that there needs to be this protection, this peace protection for worship. And the psalmist understood that peace and prosperity in the city would provide a freedom for that worship to be directed to God as it should be. So for the common good of all and for the preservation of corporate worship, the pilgrims were to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, I think this part of the psalm has great relevance for us and for our nation right now. 
And you haven't missed what's been going on for the last two weeks. But it's not the first time we've seen it, right? Over and over and over again. Hatred, anger, racism, violence. In the current case, police brutality, the abuse of power and authority by a few. Rioting, looting, property destruction by a few others. And all of that is an affront to social justice. It's a barrier to peace. And we know as believers that the core problem is sin. It's sin. And the Bible's very clear about that. So the question then is, and the struggle for us then, is how do we respond as Christians? What do, what do we do? What do we say? And I've been trying to think through this week, how does this psalm, because I believe it speaks into this, and in what way does it speak into this? Specifically into these racial tensions that are so prevalent in our nation. And I think what we're seeing and what we've often seen is this tension between justice and peace. And you hear the cry for both, justice and for peace. I was watching, in fact, just last night on the news, I saw one of the protests, and, and obviously many of the people coming to protest are doing so peacefully. They're doing it in the right way, and they're, they're voicing concerns that need to be voiced. And so with this one sign that I saw that caught my attention, it said, no justice, no peace. Now, if the, I didn't, you know, obviously I couldn't talk to the person who was holding that sign, so I don't know exactly what they meant by that. But if they meant that if I don't get the justice that I think I deserve, justice in my own mind, then I'm not going to be peaceful. If that's the message, then that's not helpful. <laughs> that just contributes to the problem. But there's an element in which that sign could be true. Because if there is no righteous justice, as the Bible continually calls for, then there can be no true peace. This isn't just a matter of us saying, and the prayer isn't just, give us peace, give us peace, just make it all go away. That's not what the psalm means. That's not our response as Christians. When we see this tension, when we feel this tension, to justice and peace, we'd have to understand, we have to be able to verbalize as Christians the truth that we know, and that is that that is exactly why Jesus came. Okay, listen, here, follow me in this, because Jesus came to fulfill the righteous and just requirements of the law, right? The justice of God was meted out on Jesus when he died on that cross. That was the just deserved what we deserved for our sin. But it came on Jesus, who didn't deserve it. And by dying on that cross, Jesus enabled the way for us to be shown and to receive grace and forgiveness of our sin. And so his grace is what brings us peace. The Bible is very clear about that. So the justice came on Jesus. The grace comes to us and only that way is there true peace. Now, we have the only message that can bring true peace. 
which is why it's so important for us to share the gospel. And that has to be our answer. That has to be the words that we proclaim in times, situations like this. In fact, at all times. That's why it's so important for us to share this gospel of grace and justice and peace in Jesus. So as Christians, we have a responsibility. I I believe we have a responsibility to stand and speak against injustice. We also have a responsibility to support those, whether that be in government or in law enforcement, even within the citizenship, those who seek to uphold righteous justice. We should be supporting that as well. But our most important responsibility, according to this psalm, is to pray for peace. For the peace that we know only comes through Jesus and his grace. Why is that our responsibility? Because this is our nation. This is our community. This is our Jerusalem. And so if we're going to honor the words of this psalm, then we should be praying for peace in our nation and a peace that comes through Christ. We should pray this for the sake of our families, our friends, our neighbors. We should pray it also for the sake of God's house, for the sake of the church, for the sake of religious freedom, for the sake of the gospel, so that we can continue to proclaim that message. So here's here's our options. I'm just being very frank with you because I'm struggling with this too. So we can watch the news, see what's going on. We can get frustrated. We can shake our heads. We can point our fingers. We can blame somebody. Or we can stop and pray. And and by saying that, please understand, praying is not an escape from this. It's not a way of avoiding the issues or avoiding the conflict or avoiding the conversation. It's the way that we enter into the spiritual warfare that is a part of this, right? This is spiritual warfare going on in our nation. And only we as believers can do and know to do what is right for us to do, and that is to pray. I saw another news picture a couple nights ago of three individuals kneeling. We've been seeing a lot of kneeling, but they were not kneeling on somebody's neck. They were not kneeling in protest. They were kneeling in prayer. And the newscaster even acknowledged that. They had their arms around each other. They were kneeling together. In the middle of all the chaos around them, they were praying. That's a great picture of what God is calling us to do. That's what this psalm is talking about here. You know, I think the greatest, the greatest time of conflict and division that our nation has probably ever experienced came during our Civil War. Obviously, long before any of us were alive here in this room or watching on, online this morning, but it's a time that we know about from our history books and their history books talk a lot about the battles and, you know, what happened in the conflict. That We have memorials and statues around our nation that remind us of the military heroes and, and those who sacrificed their lives in that war. And in fact, many of those statues and monuments have now become kind of a rallying point for those who are protesting what's going on now in racial inequality. That, 
But you know what's often forgotten about that time in our nation's history? Is that the president at that time, Abraham Lincoln, called the nation to pray and was very specific in that. He sent out official proclamations from the office of the president calling the people of the nation, of the United States, to pray. Let me give you just a few phrases. There are many, but I'll give you a few phrases of what he called on the, for the nation. Lincoln asked people to pray for pardon of national sins. Imagine that, the president saying that, calling for that. A pardon for national sins, that law and order and peace be reestablished, that prayers may bring down plentiful blessings. These were the words of the president. He asked the nation to plead with God. Here were some more parts of, of what he was calling for. To visit with tender care and consolation those who suffer in mind, body, and estate. To lead the whole nation to union and fraternal peace. To heal the wounds of the nation. To bring peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. This is what the president was calling for. He's calling for prayer. And I think we need those calls to prayer today, too. And you know what? Even if no one else in our nation prays, we as believers better be praying. Because God's called us to that. For the sake of God's house, for the sake of our community, we should be praying for the peace of our Jerusalem. I hope that you'll participate next Saturday. You heard Nick talk about that at the beginning, our day of prayer. We've called this as a day of prayer for our church. 18 hours of solid prayer. Now, you don't, as an individual, have to pray for that 18 hours. Take a part of that. Maybe it's just 15 minutes. Maybe it's 15 minutes here, another 15-minute slot later on. But I hope that you'll watch for that email, sign up for prayer, be a part of that next Saturday. And be praying for our community, for our city, for our nation, for our church. There's plenty to pray for. Be involved in that. That's our responsibility. That's our call. And if we double, triple, quadruple cover some of those 15-minute slots, that's great. That's no problem. We cannot pray too much. But let's make sure there are no gaps in our prayer, that from 6 a.m. to midnight of next Saturday, we are together in prayer. I want to close with a reminder this morning. Did, did you know that God answered the Israelites' prayer in this psalm for the peace of Jerusalem? God answered that prayer. Remember when Jesus came to Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey to the praises of the crowds. But after all those praises died down, do you know what Jesus did? He wept. He cried for Jerusalem. He cried because he knew that most of those people waving the palm branches didn't understand. They didn't know that he was coming to be their servant sacrifice king. They didn't know that he was going to a cross a week later. They didn't know God's full plan for peace. But it was there, right in the form of his son Jesus. Let me read you these words from Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, 
He wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. See, those who reject Christ reject peace because he is our peace. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Look at this passage, Ephesians 2.14, just that phrase. He himself is our peace, Paul says. So to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is to pray for Jesus himself to come. Because there will be no real lasting peace on this earth until he does. You see, our hope for true peace, our hope for our nation, our hope for our world, our hope, God's hope, God's plan for his people, the nation of Israel and his people, the church, is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ as Messiah King. And one day, Jesus will return. He will reign as king in perfect peace in Jerusalem. And every nation, every tribe, every race, every people group, every language will be represented there in corporate worship of him. See how... In the end, it's a full answer to Psalm 122. And it's described in Revelation 21, verses 2 to 4. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's peace. Trinity Church, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, when we do what this psalm calls us to do, we're praying for God's people all over the world. We're play, praying for God's plan to be enacted. We're praying for God's house, for the church, and we're praying for God's kingdom to come because that's what will bring everlasting peace. Let's pray. Lord God, with the powerful words of this psalm, you have you've called us to to rejoice over the privilege of corporate worship. You've called us to praise your name because you alone deserve that worship. And you've called us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which means so much as we've seen in this passage. And for us today, Lord, that means praying that your gospel would take hold, would take root in the lives of people
knowing that peace can only come as we respond to your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we do pray for justice in our nation, but we pray for justice that comes through righteousness that only you can give, through peace that only you can create and provide. Lord, may we as believers be that voice. May we pray that prayer with commitment, conviction, and consistency. Lord, I pray that you would give us that view, that hope of the Jerusalem that you will one day bring down from heaven, the new Jerusalem where you will reign in perfect peace and justice and righteousness. And may we not only look forward to that ourselves, but may we point others to that as well. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to be your church, your people. And my prayer for us right here at Trinity Church and for the Christian church, the world beyond, I pray that we would confess our own sins, confess the sins of our nation, and that we would be broken for those who do not know you for those who do not know peace, for those who have not experienced your grace and forgiveness yet. Break our hearts for a lost world. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.